Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 614, air date May 10th, 2020. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Shiva Ayodhya. Happy Mother's Day to everyone. We're going to be doing a series of um, videos on what I, I really want to start Mother's Week. It will go from today and probably to the rest of the week because there's a lot of great content I want to share about women as warriors, as innovators, and as healers. And today I want to kick that off with paying um, homage to all mothers, but I want to highlight the work of my, um, the great things that my mom did for me, my grandmother, and also I want to talk about Florence Nightingale. So I'm going to talk about that. So that'll be part one, and we'll end that at about 5.55, and then we're going to come back at 6 p.m., and then we're going to start um, a whole, uh, another uh, about two hour series with women um, and family separations, how the state, uh, you know, and I think this is a great time to make people aware how the United, the states in the individual United States are incentivized to actually separate families and actually disregard mothers. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, and it's quite profound. I'm going to have two mothers calling in. Uh, who are going to share their uh, histories and their unfortunate journey in this. And we also have a call-in number, but people can call in, which we'll publish at um, 6 p. starting around 6.30. Um, you can call in and we, we'll have a whole discussion about that. So let me repeat, this is Happy Mother's Day to everyone joining. And um, we're going to talk about the larger piece of how the United States um, uh, from a from a from a from one of the biggest things that we want to talk about is that I'm running for U.S. Senate, and the big difference there is a big division in this country between those people who think the government should be involved in our lives, top down, from the Kennedys, the Clintons, um, uh, the deep state, versus the concept that the government should not be involved in our lives. And Mother's Day is a wonderful day to discuss this because. Mothers do know best. They do understand what's good for their kids and, and, and for their families. And the notion is that the state knows better. And uh, that's how we got here, that the states know better than how to vaccinate the kids, what's good for their kids. And in one form or the other, the deep state, be it the establishment or the not so obvious establishment, wants to somehow regulate all of this, for example, in the area of vaccines. And there is a big difference between what I'm um, putting forward with our Senate campaign and what the Kennedys are putting forward. And I think this needs to be fundamentally understood. So as everyone knows, come on in, Michelle. Michelle's here. She'll say a lot of happy Mother's Day. Hi, everyone. happy Mother's Day. Yeah, so it's uh, uh, Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day to everyone. We, we don't have any kids, but we have two puppies. Yeah, who keep <laughs> um, us very busy. And, and I, so I wish happy Mother's Day to everyone out there. I know it's an incredible feat of sacrifice and noble service to be a mom. Mm -hmm. I've never done it, but I know what my mom did for me. So I want to just start with thanking all the mothers out there, thanking my mom. But just to let you know, you know, one of the main reasons that's driving me to run for Senate is, is an honor to my mom and my grandmother and all those people gave me so much. And as many of you know, the core of our campaign is freedom and truth and health, truth, freedom and health. And it's a movement that's built bottoms up. It's not top down and it has gone global. We, we're seeing truth, freedom and health signs all over the world. People are graffitiing it. People are taking it to different protests and demos and everything. But fundamentally, as you know, we believe that without freedom, 
you can't get to truth. And without truth, we can't get to health. And without health, we don't have the strength to fight for freedom. And all of you can support the campaign. If you go to um, the donate button, you can donate 25 or more. But if you can't afford that, donate whatever you can, five or 10. But the most important thing is I want to offer you this two really cool gifts. One is a, an amazing tool called System and Revolution. It's a book. It's an ebook that you really get to understand the fundamental principles of all systems. And then there's a really cool piece of software called Your Body, Your System. And if you go to it, uh, as I talked about when I was making chai this morning, it's a tool that really helps you, first of all, take the principles from System and Revolution and apply it. So you can see here, through a series of questions, you can actually understand what kind of system you are. So you answer these questions and you can understand within this triangle of transport, conversion, and storage, which are three phenomena that operate in every system, you can understand your particular body systems type, that's that red dot, and then you can answer a different set of questions and it'll figure out how you are diverted from your system. That is a, the black dot. And then with another set of uh, processes, you can understand how foods and vitamins and supplements and um, exercises really help you bring you back to who you are. So that's your body, your system. But the goal of all of this is to teach you system thinking. It's not just to use a nice tool. Obviously, you're going to benefit from it. But that's what our campaign is about. Our campaign is about truth, freedom, and health, and to teach you systems principles. That's one of the core things. I also want to encourage everyone out there, if you're in Massachusetts or if you have friends outside of Massachusetts, wherever you are, tell them to go to I Will Vote for Shiva and pledge to vote for us. So they just go here and they just fill this form out saying that they're going to vote for us. And this is really important because we want to find out who's committed to our campaign now. So when it comes voting day on September 1, we can get them out to the polls. Mm -hmm. So that's what this is all about. So again, donate to the campaign, help yourself learn system thinking, um, learn how the body's a system. And also those of you who are outside of the United States who can't donate, you're, everyone asks us, well, how can I get access to that tool, your body, your system? Well, you can directly go to your body, your system, and you can hit get started now, mm -hmm. and you can directly purchase it. And also I'm giving scholarships here because I know people are in economic distress if they're out of work, and you can just choose whatever scholarship amount you need, and it's really a, a honor system. So again, Shiva for Senate in the United States, take advantage of it support the campaign. We're here to win truth, freedom, and health. That's what this entire movement is about. Mm -hmm. And it's gone global all over the world. And, uh, and obviously this is scaring those in the establishment because they do not want to see us coming bottoms up. They have their minions, be it the Kennedys or the Clintons or the Fauci's or the Gates, they top down. And so the fundamental difference between what we're talking about and them is we do not believe the government should be involved in our health in one way or the other. They always believe the government should be involved. They're, you know, they're pro-vaccines. They believe government policy should support full vaccination. That's out of the words, uh, right out of uh, Robbie Kennedy. He may say all sorts of stuff, but remember, he endorsed Hillary Clinton three times. He also endorsed his nephew and he raised money for him. So it doesn't matter what he says. It's actions, actions, actions that matter. These people are lawyers and lobbyists. But fundamentally, my mom, my grandparents taught me to be truthful to my words and my deeds had to match. These people are lawyer lobbyists. They don't have that concept. They basically are taught to say whatever makes, whatever is viable at that time and BS people. That's not what my mom, and I don't think many of your mothers taught you, but I don't know what their mothers taught them, but it's irrelevant to me. 
but all I do know was what my mom taught me was to always tell the truth. So what I want to talk about today, let me, I'm going to go over to, um, I want to start here. Yeah. So let me start here. I'm going to walk you through a couple of important things. I know some of you have heard some of the stuff I've shared before, but let me see what happened here. Um, got to do something here. There. Hopefully this is working. There. Okay, great. So I'm going to start right here, and I'm going to start with uh, sharing something that I put together for everyone here on Mother's Day. So let me start here. So as I mentioned, we're going to have two parts today. For between now and uh, about 5.55, 6 p.m., we're going to really share with you, uh, you know, honoring our mothers. What I see women for me where were warriors and they were innovators and they were healers. They were all these three things. And that's what I've experienced. Typically, women were the healers. They were the ones who really drove innovation and they've not really been given as, as much credit. It was because of women that I was able to invent email. It didn't come out from men. It was because of the women that inspired me. And then we're going to talk about how women have been critical uh, as warriors and healers. I'm going to take you through a couple of stories that I think are very relevant today on Mother's Day. So let's talk about that. Um, uh, this is a picture of my mom a couple of months before she died. My background of my mo mom is, you know, she uh, was an incredible woman. She, we're going to be talking about family separation at, uh, at 6 p.m. But in the United States right now, the government, the state governments, yes, happy Mother's Day, everyone, Teresa Stone. The, the government is actually making money. The state governments combined in the United States are making about a trillion dollars a year. Uh, by separating families. And this is really anti-women um, and it's brought to you by the liberal elite. We're gonna talk about that, but let's start, begin by honoring all of our amazing mothers. That's a picture of my mom a couple months before she died. She died of a horrible disease called pulmonary fibrosis. I didn't know about um, all of it. Had I known about it before, I would have been able to help her, but the tr uh, medical professionals uh, really uh, kept a lot of this away from me. And it's, it's a longer story, but, um, the other uh, person I want to talk about is my grandmother. Um, yeah, my mom was a very, very beautiful woman. She was, uh, uh, just to give you the background, she came uh, at a time, you know, we were considered untouchables in India, lower caste people. She uh, got a degree in statistics and mathematics at a time when women of her background, for that matter, women weren't even supposed to get educated. Women are supposed to stay as housewives at home. And that was it. Um, her father, uh, literally um, had an uh, affair with a woman. And in those days, you know, in, in, in Indian times, women, um, men didn't get divorced. They probably fooled around and they were, uh, there was a lot of infidelity, but he actually ran away with this woman. And, the, and my mom was one of nine kids and her mother essentially became homeless and the family was separated. Half of the kids went one place and the other half went the other place. And my mom was around eight years old. And and she decided as an eight-year-old that she was never, ever going to rely on any man again and that she was going to stand up on her own two feet and she was going to get educated. Now, think about this. This is in, in the 40s in India. She's a woman. She's an untouchable, a lower caste woman. The thought of her getting educated was probably one in a trillion. Somehow my mom, because of pure fortitude, pure will, not only got her bachelor's degree, but also her master's in statistics. And there's a... I have to find the picture, but there's an incredible picture of my mother uh, with about 40 other men in turbans. 
And this little dark-skinned Indian woman among these other men, the only woman to get her math degree. And she would tell me that how incredibly difficult it was for her because at that time, um, she couldn't even get any help. You know, if a woman even talked to a man that was considered that she was being lascivious or anything. So it was very difficult for her because all on her own, she couldn't get homework help. Um, she couldn't get help in any other way to actually, um, you know, make it through that process, but she did. So that was my mom's story, but it was a journey of somebody who had incredible fortitude and desire to succeed and, and win. My grandmother on the other side, you know, in that small village in India was a poor farmer. She used to plant rice and cotton like you're seeing these women do. And that was their picture of her in her Sunday best. And she's the one who inspired me uh, in traditional systems of medicine. She could observe your face. She could predict what was going on in your body. But again, this was bottoms up. She was a healer in the village. There was no top down healthcare system. There was no government telling you what to do. She was a local healer. On weekends, she helped people. She didn't charge them anything. And she was incredible. I saw her empirically help many, many people. But she could diagnose people by observing the face. And then you, she would figure out what's right for them. Now, when I came to the United States, I was extremely interested in medicine. And I had finished calculus by the fourth, uh, by the ninth grade. And then there was no other um, uh, courses for me in the high school. So my mom had seen this little paper clipping, which said that New York University was inviting high school students. Uh, 40 of them would get a chance to get to go to NYU and study computer science. In fact, seven intensive programming languages. And my dear mom would drop me off at 5 a.m. at the Newark train station. I was a 14-year-old kid, and I take the train in to New York. So she had a lot of faith in me. Today, many parents are afraid to send their kids down the street. And I would take it into New York um, to NYU. And that's where I learned seven programming languages. The reason I want to share this is but it was my mom's sheer confidence. She wasn't, she gave me a lot of confidence. She would drop me off at that train station. There was never fear that anything was gonna happen to me. Um, but that was sort of this mother's support. There wasn't paranoia in that. Obviously she, she wasn't a reckless woman, but I went to NYU and that's where I learned a bunch of programming languages. And then my mom did something else. She found a mentor at the University of Medicine and Dentistry, which is a, at that time was a college of medicine and dentistry in Newark, and uh, she, she, she introduced me to a physicist, I was 14, and he looked at me and said, wow, you seem like a smart and ambitious kid, and he gave me the opportunity to work in his lab as a full-time research fellow, again, that would not have been possible without my mom. And also, there was another woman involved, a high school teacher in Livingston High School, again, another mother, but she was a independent studies teacher, and she fought with the New Jersey State, um, the supervisor of the, um, high school system so I could, as a 14-year-old kid, travel to Newark, which was at that time considered a quote-unquote a dangerous place. And I was able to start working full-time, um, looking initially at why babies were dying in their sleep. I came up with new technologies, what you would call AI-type technologies, to analyze sleep patterns and predict the onset of when a baby was going to essentially uh, stop breathing. It was called an apnea, a cessation of breath. While I was always there, I also was introduced to another problem. In those days, remember, women could have the job as a secretary, a housewife, a teacher, or they could be a nurse. But in this medical school, there were, again, these amazing women who were the secretaries who manned the, the inner office mail system. And most of them had the inbox, the outbox, they had folders, they had paper clips, and they would write this thing called a memo. And the memo had a very particular structure, the to, the from, the subject, the blind carbon copy, the carbon copy, 
um, the concept of attachments where you would add, let's say someone's resume. It was basically the inner office mail system and, and it was put into these envelopes and people would send the envelopes through these um, interesting uh, things called the, uh, the pneumatic tubes. This was the inner office mail system, always run by women. And I was asked to convert that entire system to the electronic version. No one had ever done this before. In fact, many years later, we found this interesting document written by a guy who attempted to deny that he was doing it, but we caught him red-handed. And he had said in December of 1977 that there was no attempt to ever create the electronic version of the inner office mail system. And he said, the fact that the system is intended for use in various organizational contexts makes it impossible to build a system. So, so a 14 year old kid, I didn't con consider it impossible. In fact, because of these amazing women, the secretaries, my mother, and this school teacher, they're the ones who inspired me to innovate. They gave me great confidence. And, and because of that, as a 14 year old kid, I converted this entire inner office mail system into the electronic version, 50,000 lines of code. I named it email because the operating system only allowed five characters. And thereafter, and there's my teacher right there, Stella Alexiak, she just passed on. There's one of my other uh, math teachers in the distance is Dr. Michelson. And I won one of the Westinghouse Science Awards. There's Dr. Michelson. And I went on to get the first US copyright for email. This was at a time when copyright was the only way to protect software inventions. And that was because of um, uh, my mom saying, I mean, uh, I, I, one of my uh, teachers, uh, the president of MIT said you should copyright it because at that time you, there was no way the Supreme Court was was um, was recognizing software patents. Copyright was the only way. But the entire journey of the invention of email was inspired by my grandmother, supported by this other teacher, and my mother, and all the secretaries. So women were central to innovation, central to my life as an innovator, and that was a trajectory that always stayed with me. So I wanna really honor uh, mothers, uh, women, for the incredible love and affection and inspiration they, that they gave me to innovate. And the invention of email would not have occurred without them, at least would not have occurred by me. Someone would have invented email, but I was the first to do it, and it occurred because of those women in my life. So I wanna honor them today on Mother's Day. The second women I wanna honor, some of you may know who this is, um, and I wanna talk about is, as many of you know I'm involved in health, is Florence Nightingale. Many of you who hear the name Florence Nightingale may think she was just a nurse, but Florence Nightingale was much more than a nurse. She was really the creator of the modern healthcare system. She was the one who was a member of the Royal Society of Statistics, and she was the one who observed in the Crimean War that soldiers were not dying because they were getting shot. They were dying because when they came to this thing called a hospital, it was just filthy. And she really had a vision of the modern, what we call the Western healthcare system, which was really to put a soldier back on the field, but to clean up the hospitals, et cetera. So I wanna really honor her um, as a woman on Mother's Day. So I wanna share with you what she actually provided the world because, um, so she was not just a nurse. That's what, unfortunately, men have you know, isolated her to, but she was a social scientist. She was the first woman fellow. Like my mom, she was a statistician of the Royal Statistical Society. She was a pioneer of evidence-based healthcare, and she was a pioneer, you know, environmental uh, health, uh, you know, theorist. And this is a, a there's a good book written by Lynn McDonald which talks about this. Some of these bullet points come from there. But the hospitals and the conditions of our day were places where, where you went to die, and the death rates per admission, for example, London teaching hospitals were around 10 percent uh, when her nursing school opened in 1860. 
Now, in the Crimean War, which was a bloody war between, you know, taking place in Crimea, the hospitals at 40% the worst of the months. It means 40% um, deaths uh, in early 1851. Now, the British Army death rate uh, in the Crimean War is 22%. And just to give you an idea, the U.S. Army death rate was 2.3%. So that's just to give you an idea that it, we had 10 times more death in the British death rate in the Crimean War than we had in all of the Vietnam War, 2.3%, uh, 22%. Now, Nightingale's role in that was uh, spent on cleaning up the hospitals. A big F word was feces. Uh, people just said, I mean, you went to the hospital, there's feces everywhere. And so when people came in there, it was so much filth and lack of hygiene. And one of the things she did was, she, so she said, let's clean up the hospitals, hygiene, you know, um, start putting in a force to do that. And, and she established laundries and the smell was apparently so ho horrible that many of the laundresses would quit. And, and, and so one of the things that, uh, uh, where, uh, that she really said was, she brought in the sanitary commission, people like John Sutherland and Robert Rawlinson and the supply commission, which really improved nutrition and health and shelter. The bottom line is she literally created the infrastructure for hospitals to keep them clean, to support the soldiers. Again, the, and her vision was, that if we did this right, that then doctors would, doctors really didn't want to go into those hospitals. They were so filthy, but if they would come there, they would actually start doing uh, research and we would discover new medicines. So she had this big, long vision of medicine. So they started, for example, creating the, uh, cleaning the sewers and the drains, there was massive cleanup. They called them nuisance inspectors, which were used in Liverpool. So those people came in. They, for example, removed all the dead horses from the water supply. They improved the ventilation. They removed tons of filth from the sewers and drains. So this is, so Florence Nightingale recognized the level of sanitation was so bad that we needed to improve them. Because remember what she saw was soldiers were not dying from getting shot on the battlefield, but when they came into the hospitals, that's when they were dying. So this was her observation. And just to note, that she implemented the changes I'm gonna share with you for the British army. And you'll see the French army didn't implement those changes and you'll see the distinct changes because of her contribution as an innovator. So the results in the statistics were overwhelming success for the British. So if you look here in the first winter, there was two war winters, the French had around 12% death rate. This is the first winter. The British had nearly two times more, 23%. Now in the second winter where there's very little war taking on, look what happens, 20% death rate for the French, 2.2%. She brought it down by a factor of 10, 100%. And how did she do that? Because she started implementing all these changes, the cleaning, the eliminating the feces, cleaning the sewers, really putting in sanitation, nutrition, et cetera. So you can see in the first winter, the British had a much higher death rate, about 22%. They, they had much, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, the, the, the death rate here dropped significantly for the British. Here, the death rate for the French went up, okay? And yet there was no, this is winter one, winter two, winter one, winter two. So it's really Florence Nightingale's amazing changes that she implemented, watching and observing as a scientist, as a social scientist, that's what took place. In fact, she did these beautiful diagrams that I used to teach in my class at MIT, which was these pie charts, these blown up pie charts, and we can see here, is that each one of these circles here, uh, each one of these slices represents the beginning of the war. And as you go clockwise, each slice represents a month. So if you start here in October 1884, you had a lot of uh, deaths taking place. 
and continuing, 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 continuing increase. And right here in March of 1885, she starts implementing these sanitation things. You can see this dramatic drop in debts. You see, so debts are increasing because of a lack of sanitation. And those people on Instagram can see this. And because of this lack, this new change that she started putting in, debts dramatically go down. So that's what Florence Nightingale did. She really saw the power of bringing infrastructure into the hospital that you can see here. Now, just by comparison, no other army learned the lessons of the Crimean War. So she, what she learned, many people didn't do it. The French, for example, in, their in its next war, didn't follow it, right? Um, the, so at Solferino, for example, the death and the dying in the battlefield for days uh, went on. They didn't really uh, understand what Florence Nightingale had done. In fact, Nightingale gave advice to the Northern Army in the Civil War. And, and she basically concluded that if the Americans in the North had used their advice properly, their hospital death rates would have come to 3% instead of 10%. So I think the main thing we want to see is here was Florence Nightingale. You know, as I shared with you, my mom, my grandmother, those secretaries were really the impetus for innovation. And here Florence Nightingale was really the impetus for creating the modern Western healthcare system. But it really came from her analyzing the science, the data, and implementing these things. So I think um, it's really great to honor her. And by the way, you can look at the British Army death rates in China, for example. China did follow her program. They fell, um, the, the reforms brought the Army death rate down to 3% per year. And this was in a hostile country on the opposite side of the world, were notorious for epidemic diseases. So that's what we have. We have this incredible woman who was an amazing scientist who saw this observation and she implemented it. So um, in the next sort of um, seven minutes, what I want to share with you is what is our campaign about? And it's really about speech freedom of health. When you look at people who look at systems, that's what Florence Nightingale did. She took a systems approach. My mom was a statistician and a systems analysis. Female was a system. So all the women that inspired my life, my grandmother practiced traditional systems of Indian medicine. So they really give me a systems approach to understand this. So when we when we look over here, when we look at the goal here, our goal for our campaign is truth, freedom, and health. That's our model. And our view is that the way you get there is you need to be inclusive, include a lot of people. We need to be transparent. We need to take a systems approach. We need to be decentralized. We need to focus on freedom and personalization. We don't treat everyone as a statistic. What you're going to hear in the next session I'm going to talk about is how the state is now getting involved in people's lives, treating everyone like a statistic. This is what vaccination is about. It's one size fits all medicine. Everyone gets the same thing. But what I'm talking about here is these are the principles that we're gonna win truth, freedom, and health. We're not gonna win it by what the others wanna do. But by the way, inclusivity means invite all. Transparency means open discourse. If you notice, I'm one of the most transparent people. I put everything out there. I sued Bobby Kennedy, I put it out there. If I'm sharing something, any arguments, I put it out there. And that's, I think, how we get to truth, not being always controlling the conversation. And that's what the opposition wants to do. Systems thinking, seeing the whole, decentralize. We want to bring as many people in bottoms up, not top down, freedom, not one inch to censorship. And we want to let a thousand flowers bloom. Now, the goals of their enemy are power, profit and control. That's what they want. They do not want us, you know, supporting truth, freedom and health. And the way they work is through this. Exclusivity means the few, the elite control it. You know, the Clintons, the Bushes, the Kennedys, whoever it is, the Fauci's, a few set of people make decisions. 
opacity. They hide everything. They lie. Part of being op opaque is a lie. They make up stuff. Uh, reductionist. They don't look at the whole. They always reduce it to one little part. And they're into big pharma, big media, big government and regulations. And they want us to shut up and fall in line or they lie to make you fall in line. And everything they do is depersonalized. They treat you as a statistic. So our ethics are the following. Oops, we're not gonna win. Hey, Jen, I think you have your mic on. Jen, I think you have your mic on. Everyone's having a hard time hearing you. Oh, they are? Huh. Okay, is that better? how it is because a lot of messages came through. Okay, hold on, let me see if I'm using the right thing. Oh, uh, let me see if I'm losing the right audio. Well, I'm not sure what the difference is. Um, is that better? Are you are you having trouble hearing me, Jennifer? I think it's I think it's good now. Um, oh, I haven't done anything different. Yeah, you went muffled for a while. Okay, is that better? Is that on Instagram or normal? It was Periscope as well. It's better oh. now. Oh, really? Okay. Let me see if everything's plugged in right. Okay. Are you sure it's better? I think so. Test, test, test. Okay. I mean, I, I'm using full blown. Okay. Let's go back. All right. So one of the important things that I want to talk about is we're not going to win by practicing the methods. Of the This is the methods of the enemy. They want to always be exclusive. They want to be opaque. We don't follow those methods. Our methods are following these methods, which is inclusivity, you know, openness, transparency, um, going direct and not playing games. They play games. They have puppets and they have Muppets and they use people. They bring people in out of nowhere. They write. Um, they, they, they're very, very well um, organized, but from a centralized model. Our method is this way. And part of what I wanted to talk about is that we're never going to achieve truth, freedom, and health if we follow their approaches. Some people say, follow the enemy's ways, fight fire with fire. Well, the more you do that, you actually end up back at their system. So what I want to end with is also talking about the warrior aspect of women. Women were central to the entire U.S. labor movement in this country and everything we have, all the infrastructure we have and all the really fight against infectious diseases that took place in the 1900s came from women warriors. For example, in 1834, as you can, let me make this a little bit bigger. Jen, is that better for everyone? Um, what you can see here is the, you know, in 1834 and 1800s when the women's movement, not in the working class movement was building because working people were treated like dirt by those in power. So for example, in 1834, you know, was the first turnout of the mill girls in Lowell, Mass, right in Massachusetts here. So all you people in Massachusetts also listening and everyone outside of the world, the working class movement for the world, a lot of it started in the United States. It wasn't communist people coming in from outside, but it was bottoms up because Lowell Mass was one of the centers of the industrial revolution. So the first turnout of the mill girls, that's who they called to protect wage cuts occurred in 1834. Then about 10 years later, nine years later, the Lowell Female Labor, Labor Reform Association begins public petitioning for the 10 hour workday. So they used to work, you know, 16, 20 hours. So they wanted to stop wage cuts and the 10 hour workday. And then 1871, after her dress shop was destroyed in a Chicago fire, Mary Harris, which was, who was later known as Mother Jones, began 
uh, working as a labor organizer. That was in 1871, about 30 years later. And then in 1903, the Women's Trade Union League formed uh, at the AFL convention. And in 1909, we had the uprising of the 20,000 female shirt waist makers in New York um, strike against sweatshops. And in 1911, you had the Triangle Shirt Waste Factory uh, fire in the New York, which killed nearly 150 workers. You had a huge protest. In 1912 was a very famous bread and roses strike that was begun by immigrant workers right again in Lawrence, Massachusetts, which ended with 23,000 men, women, and children on strike and with as many as 20,000 on the picket line. So when you look at it, Massachusetts was the center of the working class movement, of the labor movement, and in fact, driven by women. And if you look at the results of it, it was quite extraordinary because in my view, what people don't wanna talk about is it wasn't the people, the politicians top down, the Democrats or the liberals or the Republican establishment. It was these working class movements which gave rise to infrastructure changes. So starting in the 1900s, infectious disease was around 14 out of 100,000 people had infectious disease. It went up, this was the, and then it drastically came down because of all of these changes that took place, sanitation, nutrition, and it drove that number way down long before the polio vaccine, long before the measles vaccine. All of this occurred because of those working class movements. It wasn't like the government gave it to us. There was nutrition then, ending of child labor, the eight hour workday, sanitation, all of these things came down. Someone says, I'm a senior Kent Canadian, Dr. Shiva, you've renewed my faith in humanity. Please keep up the valiant fight. We're all with you all the way. Excellent. But what I want to thank you very much, Keith Ullman. What I want to tell everyone out there is we have to fight and we have to be bottoms up. The Clintons, the Kennedys, the Fauci's, the Gateses, the Zuckerbergs, the WHO, they're not going to do anything for us. If anything, they're going to act as they're going to do something and they're going to do regulation, regulation, regulation. And with that, they create monopolies and they serve the establishment. Yes, labor movement plus women warriors equals better health. Exactly, Nick. That's what we want to understand. It was bottoms up. And this is what we need to take away. Those in power have never given us anything. And the top-down people, the BSers from the Kennedys and the Clintons and the Warrens, all these people act like they're going to help us. If you really look at what they're doing, as I've talked about in yesterday's lecture, they want to regulate. So if you look at the vaccination movement, okay? By the way, the, this, the, when you look at this graph here, you realize that it was really the sanitation worker. If you look at the de massive decline in infectious diseases, that was because of the sanitation worker and the plumber did more for bringing down infectious diseases because of those struggles of women in the 1800s than did the pharmacist or the doctor. And that's what needs to be understood. But that came out because we had a bottoms up movement and that's what we're building. And in reaction to that, you'll see the top down liars the people like the Kennedys and the Clintons who do not want us a bottoms up. So they put their fake heroes out there. They do a bunch of fake stuff right now. You're watching it right before your eyes. So people need to open up. They are not for top down, uh, for bottoms up movement. They want top down. They want to insert themselves and try to hijack our movement for truth, freedom, and health. And that's what they're doing right now. But it is, and remember, many of them abuse women. We can go look at the history of the Kennedys. Go look at them. How many, you know, Bobby Kennedy had 40 affairs with women while he was in the middle of his wife relationship. He's, he doesn't really care about women. They talk a good game. So those women who want to have Stockholm syndrome and follow these people, go for it. But these people are not the kind of women that my grandmother or mother would really appreciate or the kind of leaders 
That's not what they brought me up or you up, working people. So we need to understand what is the quality of leaders we want. On Mother's Day, we need to honor women. We should not be supporting these leaders who abuse women and take advantage of women. That's what they're doing. And in honor to them, with all due respect, we need to build this movement, a powerful movement for truth, freedom, and health, bottoms up. That's how we're going to win. We're not going to win it top down. Okay? So anyway, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to come back literally in two minutes. I'm going to start the next session. It's a way to end this piece. And part two, as I mentioned to you, what we're going to talk about in part two um, is really uh, about a very different thing that's taking place to women. And it's because of the liberal elite. They, have, they are literally destroying families. And it's a good thing to talk about what's going on. They are literally taking away women's power and families, uh, just like they've done at the vaccine movement uh, or the establishment has. They're saying the government knows what to do. And that's frankly what the Kennedys want to do. They do not believe that you know anything. They believe they know better. And that's fundamentally what we want to talk about is do we want to have a movement that's by the people for the people? Or do we want to have a movement where some people think they know better and they know better than you or I? That's what we're going to talk about shortly. Okay. So I'll be back. And anyway, everyone go to Shiva for Senate, support the campaign for truth, freedom, and health. And I'll literally be back at about in two minutes. Okay. And we'll start the next session. Thank you, everyone. Be the light. Be well. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you. We'll be right back, everyone, on Instagram too.